You may be seated. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, to Romans chapter 9. We've seen Paul turn from that great crescendo at the end of chapter 8 to a great burden for the Jewish people and laying out the fact that the Word of God hasn't failed. Uh, And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But I want to pick up this morning and read from verse 14. Responding to verse 13, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, the doctrine of election. Uh, It says this in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make His power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, fitted or prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed He says in Hosea, Those who were not My people, I will call My people. And her her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not My people, there they shall will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel should be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth or land fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is truly your word. This is truly your truth. May your spirit apply your truth to either bring us to faith or nurture us in faith. Help me to preach your word in the power of the spirit, truthfully, accurately. Help us to hear it as the very Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit to understand it 
and live in its light. So we pray for you to bless the preaching and the hearing of the Word of God, and we trust you to do that. We give you praise for this opportunity, and we look to you for spiritual food through your Word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. One weeknight, the thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord, but how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought Him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek Him. I prayed, I thought, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray through reading the Scriptures. How came I to read the Scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that He was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Mr. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of those Gentiles called to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, used greatly. But we're studying, we're in the midst of Romans 9 and we are studying exactly that. What makes the difference? What makes a person a believer? Why, how do we go and why do we go from unbelief to faith? Why do Jews go from unbelief to faith? Why do Gentiles go from unbelief to faith? From dead in trespasses and sins to alive with Christ and being justified through faith in Him. See, we've seen in the book of Romans that Paul has showed us that both Jew and Gentile are lost and need a Savior. He showed us that that Savior is Jesus Christ. And through faith alone in Christ alone, we are justified, declared righteous by God because through faith we're united to Him. We're cleansed from all of our sin. We're clothed in His righteousness. Therefore, we are declared righteous by God, God's judgment and adopted as His children and begin to be sanctified and conformed into the image of Christ. So that's what we saw. Justification by faith alone up through chapter 5. 6 through 8, we saw a good sound doctrine of sanctification or growth in grace. And now we're dealing with God's sovereign choice or the doctrine of election and how that applies to both Jew and Gentile. And this is going to be chapters 9 through 11. And we're finishing up kind of the sovereignty portion of chapter 9, one of the most feared sections in the Bible, one of the most controversial sections in the Bible sometimes is Romans chapter 9. But I'm telling you, Romans chapter 9 is filled with the most glorious of truth, that salvation is of the Lord, that He is sovereign. 
that my salvation, like Mr. Spurgeon's salvation and like your salvation, your change was wholly due to God and His sovereign grace. And so we've picked up in chapter 9 and seen that Paul's burden for the Jews in verses 1 to 5. And then we've said, we've seen him take a turn. He's burdened over unbelief in the Jewish community. But then he turns and says, but that doesn't show that word of God has failed. In other words, the word of God has not failed. That's our thesis statement in chapters 9 through 11. We saw that in the first part of verse 6. And then he goes on from there showing that it's not enough to be a physical descendant of Abraham. Right? It's the spiritual seed or descendants or children to whom the promises are made. God's purpose and election will be fulfilled. And His, His purpose is not based on us and who we are and what we do, but on His own sovereign mercy and grace. And so that's what we've seen so far as we've worked our way through. That's a really brief summary. I would encourage you to go back and if you haven't listened to the previous sermons on chapter 9, I would encourage you to do so. But today we're going to, like I say, finish out the, the sovereignty section. We'll be turning more to the responsibility section next time as we begin to look at the unbelief of the Jews, right? They have refused to believe in their Messiah. But we're going to look at verses 24 to 29 today. And I titled it, My People, God's People. That's who he's talking about here. Who are his people? I'm going to answer that question. We'll see this, the main point. The one true people of God is made up of those the Lord sovereignly calls to faith from among both the Jews and the Gentiles. The one true people of God is made up of those the Lord sovereignly calls to faith from among both the Jews and the Gentiles. Let's look real quickly at the, what I've entitled the, true, the identity of true Israel. So as we're reading through Romans chapter 9 and we see that we've just talked about and we talked about this in the last sermon. I encourage you to go listen to that. But that section in 22 and 23 where we're talking about vessels of wrath and then he ends that in 23 with vessels of mercy. Now look how that ends. In order to make known the purpose, in order to make known the riches of His glory for the vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. And now we pick up with our verse. Even us whom He has called. Even us whom He has called. And that call takes us all the way back to, to verse 29 and verse 30. And you see in verse 30, those whom He... In chapter 8, 830. Those whom He predestined, He also called. And we talked about that is the effectual call to faith. It's not the general call. Like when I'm preaching the gospel this morning and I'm exhorting you to come to faith in Christ. That's called the general call of the gospel. And in the midst of that call, the Spirit is at work in individual hearts calling them out to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the vessels of mercy, verse 23, are us, the ones God has called. So us in the near context there, that's an that's a important word. That's a little word in verse 24. But the word us, who is us? And we're going to define that more as we move forward in the verse. But look at the near preceding context, and I just mentioned it. Vessels of mercy. So the us are the vessels of mercy. The ones that God has prepared beforehand for glory. But keep looking back. It's those whom He 
he loved in verse 13. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, is the expression of God being sovereign in his mercy. Jacob did not deserve to be loved. They both deserved to be hated, yet God had chosen Jacob. You see in verse 11, it's the elect, the children, the, those who are chosen according to God's purpose in election. You see that right there in verse 11. Children of promise. Look back on up in verse 8. So the us is the children of promise. The us is therefore the children of God in verse 8. The us is the children of Abraham. So this us in 24 is, is this culmination, this flow that you've seen from verses 6 on down. It's coming from us uh, through the children of Abraham or the seed. I wish the ESV would just use the word seed to hold to that promised line there. It literally is seed of Abraham. All right, but it goes farther than that. Look, look back up in verse 6. So we've traced us through vessels of mercy up through God's purpose and election to the children of promise, children of Abraham. All, not all. Look in verse, verse 6b. Word of God hasn't failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. It's not enough to be a physical descendant of Abraham, yes, the, the people group was called Jews or Israel. But we saw, we saw as we looked at that verse that within that larger ethnic group, there is a smaller remnant that is the true Israel. And so us takes us all the way back up through all of those verses. He has shown us now who is the true Israel. It's the children of promise, the children of God, the elect, the ones He's loved, on whom He's had mercy. The vessels of mercy are the true Israel. And now He says, even us. We are those people. We are the true Israel. All that He has called. See, this is going to be a surprising turn in the book. This, this, this turn is something that took the Jews by surprise. You saw as you read through the book of Acts and you see Peter go to Cornelius' house and preach the gospel and go back and report to the church and they're like, you went in the house of Gentile. You know, they start freaking out until Peter explains it and then they see that God has also granted repentance to the Gentiles. Not, look at that. Even us, the vessel, who are the vessels of mercy? They're even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. There's the people of God. The Jews and the Gentiles that God has called to faith. The true spiritual seed of Abraham. Vessels of mercy. All of that that we saw in chapter 9. See, this was the shocking thing, the mystery that had to be revealed. And when, when you think of mystery in the New Testament, don't think this mysterious thing, but it was something we would not have known had it not been revealed. Here's it, here it is, that the Gentiles were included in the one true people of God. Look at that verse again, verse 24. Who are the vessels of mercy? Who are the children of promise? Who is the true Israel? Even us whom He has called, from, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So let's, let's, let's look a minute at this Gentile inclusion. I called it the mystery of Gentile inclusion. Right? We're not coming up with a new category. 
But the Gentiles have been included in this one true people of God. And we see that. The us here. The true Israel. Look at verses 25 and 26. I'll read that again for you. Even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed He says in Hosea, those who were not My people, I will call My people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not My people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Paul quotes Hosea to show Gentile inclusion. And a lot of people struggle over that because the original context of Hosea is talking about the restoration of the ten tribes. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because you can see he makes the turn in 27 and talks about Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. So he starts back talking about the Jews, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he uses Hosea verses uh, in 25 and 26. He uses that Hosea 2.23 and 1.10 to speak of Gentile inclusion. He's quoting the Old Testament and showing that among those who were not His people, who would be His people, were not just the Jews that would be restored, but also Gentiles would be part of that restoration. And a lot of people struggle over these verses and have a lot of things going on in their minds and trying to figure out how Paul is using the Old Testament. You know, much like out of Egypt I call my son. A lot of people turn backflips over that. Right? But we have an inspired commentary here. We have under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul using Hosea to show Gentile inclusion into the beloved, into those who are the sons of the living God. You see that language in verse 26. Into, here it is, my title, my people. God's people. God has one group of children. God has one unified people. And His promises to Israel hold true. He has not forsaken those promises. We'll see that in chapter 11. It's just, and we'll see this in chapter 11 too, that the Gentiles have been grafted into all of that and part of one new man in Christ Jesus, which the Bible labels in verse 6, true Israel. Paul calls the Israel of God in Galatians 6 and a lot of other places I, I can't go into. But the first thing I want us to think about is that it should have been it should have been no mystery of Gentile inclusion because that was talked about in the Old Testament. And there are a bunch of places where we could go and quote and show that, but we'll just look at one from the second servant song in the book of Isaiah pointing us to the Messiah. But in Isaiah 49:6 it says this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. You see how that kind of matches there with that Hosea quote? It's too light a thing for this just to be about the Jewish people. I will make, now watch this, I will make you as a light for the nations. Nations there being Gentiles, non-Jews that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. There you see it prophesied. What was the promise to Abraham? In you shall just the Jews be blessed. 
knowing you shall all the nations be blessed. And Paul says that's preaching the gospel beforehand. If you read uh, Galatians 3. It's too light a thing that you should just be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So God had always said he was going to include in his people Yes, Jews and Jews restored, preserved and restored, but also Gentiles bring, being brought into that group, being brought into that same body. We'll see that language. But how does that happen? How, do, how are people gathered from the nations? How does, how does salvation happen? Right? You're just born into a Christian family, so it just flows into you, right? No. What is the power of God for the salvation of Jew and Gentile? It's the gospel. See, the good news to you is that salvation is a free gift to you if you'll have it. But first of all, why do you need it? Well, we need salvation because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've seen that in our study of, Revel of uh, Revelation. Yeah, Romans We've seen that. We've fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? God requires us to glorify Him by joyfully, out of love, keeping His commandments. And yet we have all broken His commandments in thought, word, and deed. None of the Ten Commandments has any of us kept in thought, word, and deed. We've all lived for other things preeminently other than God. We've taken His name in vain. We've lied. We've stole, you know, you know the list. But if we've broken His law, what we deserve is condemnation. We can't clean up our own act. It's just smearing sin around to try to wash it away. We need somebody to come and save us because we are lost and need a Savior. God is holy. He must punish sin. And we are sinful. So we're in a... Heck of a predicament in southern lingo. See, we need a Savior and we can't save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. And He didn't just pop on the cross from heaven. He was born and lived under His own law to fulfill all righteousness. And then He took our guilt and died upon that cross. And He suffered horribly physically, but that was nothing in comparison to the wrath of God due our sin being poured out on Him on that cross. He took our eternal hell upon Himself and drank that cup dry because He was the God-man. Christ died for our sins, the Scripture says. Not for His. He didn't have any. He was the pure and spotless Lamb of God. And He died for our sins. So He lived for our righteousness, fulfilling all righteousness, and He died to pay the penalty for our sins, and He was raised on the third day. And see, that, that's why it's free to us, because it's all been paid by Him. Before He left the cross, He said, It is Finished. And that word to telestai means paid in full. If He's forgiven you for anything, He's forgiven you for everything. 
You might be holding some of your past sins against yourself, but He is not. If He has died for you, He is your righteousness. He is your redemption, your forgiveness. You have died and your life is hidden with Him. God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That verse doesn't say whosoever cleans up his act. Whosoever does the best he can. Because the best we can do is sin. And that payment's not accepted. For heaven. It will take you somewhere else. But Christ paid the penalty for our sins. Christ fulfilled all righteousness. What happens when you come to faith in Jesus is that you are cleansed from all of your sin and clothed in His righteousness. But it's better in courtroom language. See, this is this record of debt that was against us because of our sin. And Christ took that with Him to the cross and suffered that penalty so that you can now have His record of righteousness so the judge can look at you and say, Righteous. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's how that salvation goes to the ends of the earth. Jew and Gentile must repent and trust in Jesus. And if we'll trust in Christ, we are forgiven. We are counted righteous. We are adopted as God's children whom He begins to grow in grace. But see, that salvation from Isaiah 49.6 wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles as well. There you have it. Church in the Old Testament, in case you struggle with that. See, Paul's showing us here that the Gentiles are included in what he's been talking about the rest of Romans 9, true Israel, children, seed of Abraham, children of promise, all that, all that is is Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus. And we'll see that. And he's going to pause here. He's going to pause here on Gentile inclusion and come back to that in chapter 11. And he's going to finish up with the Jews, right, before we get there. And we'll see that. But we know that we both need a Savior. But I wanted to just show you some other verses, um, uh, same author, Paul, in other books, and show you that the, this inclusion into Israel that I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not just making this up. Uh, Listen to a guy, you know, the other day who, who held to a distinction between Israel and the church until he studied through Ephesians 12, uh, 2, Ephesians 2, and he had to abandon that. So it's not the church replacing Israel. That's bad language. That's wrong language. It's, it's Israel. You have ethnic Israel, and within that you have the remnant, and the Gentiles are grafted into that remnant, being part of the Israel of God. That's not my language. It's Scripture. But let me, let me just show you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you to go back and read the rest of, of Ephesians 2 because I don't have time to bring it all up. But what he's doing after after showing us that we've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then Paul turns, and this is an important thing, he tells the Gentile church, remember who you were before you came to faith. Don't forget who you were before you came to faith in Jesus. Now watch what he says in in verse 12. And listen, I want you to go ahead and read. You go home, you read from 11 to the end of the chapter. Um, But he's talking about who you were before Christ and now who you are in Christ. What has happened to you? You've been made part of the one new man in Christ. But look in verse 11. (laughs) 
I mean 12, I'm sorry. Verse 12 in, chapter, in uh, Ephesians 2. Remember that. Now watch. He's talking about before they were Christians, before they came to faith. He says, remember that you were at that time, now watch this, separated from Christ. Therefore you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So because you were separated from Christ, you were separated from His people. But that, that language there is important. Look at it. To, there's aliens and strangers in verse 12. And I want you to see that. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But God has saved Jew and Gentile, made them part of one new man, and we move on. And I'm drawing a distinction between verse 12 and verse 19. Because I want you to see it. So after talking about remembering who they were before they came to Christ, now he's telling them who they are after they've come to Christ. And it's not this other group. Okay? Look, look in verse 19. Now watch this language. So then you are no longer strangers. Stop. Strangers to what? Look at verse 12. You're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. Notice we, we already talked about that when we saw Paul's burden in, in verses 4 and 5 and talking about the promises and the covenants and the, all of that. But Paul says, now since you've come to Christ, you're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. You've been, there's not new covenants of promise. You've been included into those promises. You've been included into those very same promises that were given to Israel. So he, he says, you're no longer strangers. Now look at this one. You're no longer strangers and aliens. So look back up in verse 12. You're no longer alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That was what we, we were alienated from because we were outside of Christ. But now being in Christ, we are no longer alienated from Israel. We're part of this true Israel, we're part of the... I don't know how many full Jews are in here, but most of us are glad that the gospel came to us too. Right? We've been grafted into those self-same promises and situation. But catch that. Verse 12, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, come to Christ. Now verse 19, you're no longer strangers, strangers to the covenant of promise, and you're no longer aliens. But look, there's more language. But you are fellow citizens. Citizens in what? Israel. See the connection there? Fellow citizens with the saints, all of them and members of the singular household of God. God doesn't have two households. He's got one. And praise God, He decided to promise to Abraham that he, through Him there would be a blessing to all the nations and that He decided both for the foundation of the world to include the Gentiles in those promises because I am surely a Gentile. I think most of y'all are too. You can see Paul talking about this mystery in, in Ephesians chapter 3. So if we move on into chapter 3, he's talking about reading and perceiving. He says in verse 4, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Again, that mystery in this context is something that wouldn't be known if it was not revealed. 
And sometimes, just like you see in the Old Testament, it was revealed in the Scriptures, but the minds hadn't been opened yet to receive. You know, see Christ opened minds in, in Luke 24 and all. But look what he says in Ephesians 3, 4, and 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. What, what are you talking about, Paul? Which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So those scriptures that were sort of laying in the background and had come to life by the Spirit applying them. He said, now he defines the mystery. I want you to watch it very carefully. Verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, watch, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there you see the Gentiles are grafted in. Made apart. We'll see in chapter 11, unbelieving Jews broken off using the figure of the tree and Gentiles grafted in to that rich vine of Israel. This is not replacement theology. I don't know anybody that believes that. This is fulfillment theology. This is inclusion theology. More than that, it's biblical that we've been grafted into those promises, grafted into that same body. We're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise and we're no longer alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We are fellow citizens and members of the same body through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One more, and I'll trust you to go read three, Galatians 3 and put it in context. But look who, what he says about the body of Christ. And the body of Christ being one, being one new man. In Christ Jesus. But writing to Gentiles primarily. In Galatia. Here we have it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. This is not wiping out all distinction and roles. And that's not what he's talking about. But look what he says. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jew, Gentile, one. And if... Now watch this. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. Write seed in your Bible. You've got two different words. Ephesians, uh, in Romans 8, 7, 9, 7, it says children. And here it says offspring. And it's the same word in the Greek. I wish we had consistency in our translations. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and therefore heirs according to promise. And if you'll go back and read Galatians, what Paul is talking about the gospel being preached to Abraham and who, who are the sons of Abraham? Is it just the Jews? No, it's everyone who's in Christ. But what Paul says, the promises were made to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ. And therefore to all in Christ. See, those, those salvation promises, covenant promises were never made to every individual Gentile or every individual Jew, but the ones we've been talking about, the vessels of mercy, those in Christ are Abraham's seed. You are Abraham's seed if you are in Christ Jesus. The covenant was made with you. That's what he says. Look at the language. Gentile believers are Abraham's seed, therefore parts of my people, God's people. The one true 
Israel is elect Gentiles and elect Jews, which we see there's a remnant of the Jews, and we'll see that in the, in the text here in a minute. That's just a quick flash. We're going to talk about that more when we get to chapter 11. But what I want you to see is to, is to see that the Gentiles, God's not giving up on any of his promises to Israel. We've just been grafted into all of that. He will keep all of his promises. But he never promised to save every individual Israelite. That's what Paul's talking about. And he never promised to save every individual Gentile. It's the vessels of mercy. So there, there you have the, the Gentiles. I wanted to start there and come back to the Jews since it just helps the flow of the text. The vessels of mercy, who are they? Well, they're us whom God has called to faith, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And we've seen that quote and we've seen others talking about the Gentile inclusion. Now we'll look to the prophecy of a Jewish remnant that Paul quotes. The word of God has not failed. God never promised salvation to all of Abraham's physical seed, but only to the remnant. And he shows that by, by quoting Isaiah from chapter 10, uh, 22 to 23, and chapter 1, verse 9. So let's read this verse. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, promise fulfilled, only a remnant of them will be saved. And God was clear from the beginning that it would be a remnant. So we do not need to be surprised that all don't believe. We, know, we can see that the word of God hasn't failed because that promise was made to the children of promise. And please go back and listen to the other sermons in chapter 9 if you haven't. But look what it says, and this is quoting from Isaiah 10, Old Testament. Only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord, verse 28, will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay or upon the land. And he quotes another one here from Isaiah 1. If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. If it wasn't for God's grace, no Jew would be saved. If it wasn't for God's grace, no Gentile would be saved. We all deserve to be condemned and he would have been just and righteous to condemn us all. See, the word hasn't failed. It hasn't failed because God has and will save all His elect from the Jews and from the Gentiles. This is the us whom He has called. This is the one true people of God. And you are included if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've come to Him in faith. See, we've said this before as we're studying through this section. This section so far, the, the keynote is sovereignty. Right? In answering the question about uh, the, whether or not all Jews should be converted. Sovereignty. Election. God's purpose. He will save all of His people. None will perish that were given to Christ. We were given to Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. Chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Right? In that Trinitarian covenant before there was ever a molecule. The Father had chosen people, given them to the Son. The Son is the mediator who would come and achieve our salvation by living for us, dying for us, being raised for us, 
and so forth. And the Spirit would apply that gospel to our hearts to such that we would turn and trust in Jesus. And we'll see when we look at John 6 tonight, Jesus says that He receives all who come to Him in faith. None will ever come to Him in faith and be rejected. But He also says this in John 6, I will lose none of them that the Father has given me. So there you have the tension. Sovereignty and responsibility. Right? And that's what Spurgeon saw at first. And all of us come to Christ at first. We just think we're turning and trusting and that's because we decided to. Right? And we did decide to. But why did we decide to? Because He brought us from death to life through the preaching of the gospel. If you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised to the third day. What must I do to be saved? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But see, so far, this is the first reason the Word hasn't failed is the doctrine of election. Sovereignty in election. There is no way you can read your Bible honestly and justly keeping every verse in context and not believe in the doctrine of election. Full stop. Why? Because it's biblical. We don't like it always and we don't understand it and we think it's not fair. Notice Paul's already anticipated those objections. But it is just and holy and righteous for a God who is sovereign over His own mercy to bestow that on whom He wills. And this doctrine therefore humbles us. Here's how I know that God has chosen some before the foundation of the world. Because His Word says so. That's the only reason I know. I can't figure all this out. Don't look at me and think I can figure out how all this sovereignty and responsibility works together. But I'm not going to wash out either side of it. It's just like the Trinity. When the Word says the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, and they're one God. Three persons. Can you figure all that out? I'm going to answer for you no. If you think you can, you need to be humbled by that. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man in one person? I don't know, but He is. And He lived for me and He died for me and He was raised. And hallelujah, I don't have to figure it all out. I can just look to Him and believe Him and trust Him. But the sovereignty of God has been right before our eyes and I have been so encouraged by y'all's response to this. I have not had one person come up to me, and I don't know if I'm intimidating, but nobody has come up to me and said, I don't believe that. Acts 13, I've told, some people are here that wasn't here before. I've told y'all before, Acts 13, 48 is the one that got me. And if you go read that, talking about the Gentiles, it says, all who were foreordained to eternal life believed. And I had to say, God, I can't figure all this out, but your word clearly teaches it, so I'm going to believe it. And now I know it was for my good so that I might know my salvation is of Him. So my security is in Him. So I can rest in Him. And not in my own experience or my feelings. So the first reason we've seen it, why the Word of God hasn't failed, is God's sovereignty and election. Next time in Romans, we're going to begin to transition to see more the responsibility side of it. If you, if you keep reading, uh, my heading in my Bible in verse 30 is headed, Israel's unbelief. 
and why they failed because they looked uh, for a legalistic route to God. So we're going to begin to highlight man's responsibility as we move forward in the book of, of um, Romans. Jewish unbelief. See, if any, of us, if any of us are lost and go to hell, it'll be our fault. And if any of us are saved and go to heaven, we'll be re- eventually new heavens, new earth. We won't all float around on clouds forever. It'll be God's fault. And both are just. And please go back and listen to the other sermons. I don't have time to recap them on that. But God is sovereign. He's sovereign over His mercy. He, in His amazing grace, He's chosen to love some who really we should all be hated. We are the children of Abraham, the children of God, the children of promise, the, the elect, those loved by Him, we belong to and have been grafted into, verse 6b, that true Israel. So how do we respond to this? Well, number one, the, the, the application I had a few weeks back just continues. I didn't even write it down this time. But humble reception of God's word is the first response. If it clearly says it, we need to believe it, whether it makes sense to us or not. But secondly, which is firstly on my list today, our response to God's sovereignty should be praise and worship. In fact, and we see at the end of chapter 11, that's exactly where Paul goes with it. He goes, wow. What a wise and holy God. Ephesians chapter 1. Doctrine of election is to the praise of His glorious grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton would write. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. He sought me. Notice 1 John. We love Him because He first loved us. When Jesus, we've seen this in Romans chapter 5. He came and died for His enemies. None of us deserve this mercy, and yet we have it in Christ. How do I know I have His mercy? Because you're trusting in Jesus. True faith in Jesus is a work of the Holy Spirit. You didn't dig that up in yourself. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and He made us alive together in Christ, right? Through the gospel. So praise Him. And just tell Him, I don't get all this, but I see it in your Word. So I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to rest in you. Because you said I could. And you promised to be faithful to all of your promises. So I'm good. That's the second point, rest. Rest in your God's sovereign salvation. Listen, I think MacArthur said, if if 99.9% of my salvation was dependent upon God and 0.1% was dependent upon me, I will be lost. If any of it is dependent upon me, I will lose it. Because all of my righteousness, my righteous attempts are filthy rags, Isaiah says. I'll blow it. If I can blow it, I'll blow it. And if I have temporary faith, it'll show. But if it's real faith it put, produced in me by the Spirit through the gospel, though it may be very weak at times, it will continue until the end. 
And all these people who want to be hip about their deconstruction and how they were once a Christian and now they're not, look at me, they never were. Because God's Word says true faith perseveres to the end. John said they went out from us because they were not of us. Jesus gave us the parable of the soils and only one of them, there's, there's responses that look like faith in the list, but only one of them is a true heart and true faith. Trust in Jesus. If you do, you know God worked that in you. So rest and rejoice in Him. Number three, application. Hold. Hold what? I'll just go home and figure that out. (laughs) Hold to the unity of the one people of God. Hold to the unity of the us. Jew and Gentile, seed of Abraham, true Israel, one people. God says, my people. My people. Hold to that. The beauty and glory of being grafted back into all of those blessings and promises. Remember when we were looking at Paul's burden, what he said that the Israelites, to them belongs adoption, glory, covenants, giving of the law, worship, promises, patriarchs, Messiah. If we're going to be saved, we're going to have to be included in all of that. Because that's where the promises are found. That's where the Messiah is found. That's where the covenants of promises are. So to be saved, I've got to be included in that. Because God's not making up another way. It's prophecy and fulfillment of the same thing. So hold to the fact that you... I mean, think about that. When you read, as a Gentile, when you read your Old Testament and read about Abraham, think, my father in the faith. How many of you have done that? If you have faith, Paul said in Galatians, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to not the new promise, the promises, the promise of salvation, of restoration of Israel. We've been included in that. Hold to the true people of God. I'm going to add a sub-application there. If you have questions about these things, please come and talk to us. Mike would be happy. Corey would be happy. Sam's not here. He'll take a phone call, maybe, if he's not too busy. (laughs) Brian's here. I'm here. Love to talk to you about this stuff. It always bothers me when... When, when something is taught or preached and people stomp off mad and you find out down the road that the reason they stomped off mad wasn't the truth. They didn't understand. Don't be that person. We certainly can have differences about a lot of things, but I'm just pointing you to security in Christ to be found in the sovereignty of God in His giving you to His Son before the foundation of the world. So praise God for His glorious grace. Rest in His salvation. Hold to the unity of the one people of God. And then tell. And kids, I don't mean tell on one another. People still need to hear this gospel. How will they hear? Unless someone's sent. We'll see that in chapter 10. 
God has ordained the ends, yes, but He's ordained the means to those ends. And part of that means is me being salt and light in the world and being a witness and seeing other people going from not my people to my people, from enemies to children, from lost to saved. Don't be the Dead Sea. We have all these riches of the Gospel. So we praise God and rest in His grace and hold to the truth. But we must tell it. It must flow through us. Gospel truth is designed to flow through us. We're to be a river. Out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water, right? We're not meant to be a pond. But a river through which this grace and Gospel flows. So tell other people, i got to quit. But remember our main point. The one true people of God is made up of those the Lord sovereignly calls to faith from among both the Jews and the Gentiles. This is the true Israel of God. Slide, please. So there you have it. Ethnic Israel and ethnic Gentiles. Right? Physical Israel, physical Gentiles. Out of that, the one true my people. True Israel, right there in the middle, made up of Jew and Gentile, one new man in Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. Rest in His grace. And know like Spurgeon that God was the author of your faith. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to stop trusting in ourselves and trust in You. And stop only believing what we can figure out or what we think is right. But just to look to Your Word and and to rightly interpret Your Word and say, if Your Word teaches it, I want to believe it. I want to praise You and thank You for Your sovereign grace this morning. For the glorious doctrine of election. You didn't have to tell us about this. You could have waited till eternity to show us that, yeah, we came to faith and all, but it was because we were chosen. But you've given us these rich truths now that we might rejoice in your mercy and rest in your grace and have our hope anchored in you, that you who began a good work in me will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we thank you for Romans 9 and Ephesians 1 and all the other passages that that humble us. John 6 and others that humble us and show us that we were dead. We were without hope. We were alienated and strangers to the covenants of promise. We deserved wrath. And yet because of your grace and your sovereign mercy, you chose us and gave us to your son who came to live and die and be raised for us. And the spirit has applied the gospel to our hearts and so that we've come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. I pray for any in here who are are, uh, not Christians or maybe they're listening over the live stream or will hear the recording. I pray that you'd work faith in their hearts according to your will. I pray for any under the sound of my voice who struggle with the doctrines of your sovereignty. Lord, my prayer for them is that you would give them the commitment to say, What does the Word say? 
not what does it feel like to me or what do I think is right or that just couldn't be. You've already shown us that expect, expected objections to the doctrine of election would be that's not fair and it makes me a robot. We've seen those in chapter 9. But help us just to receive your word and not try to explain it away. Whosoever will may come does not explain away the doctrine of election. It doesn't say anything about who will come. Thank you that the door is open. Help us to come to Christ and rest in Christ. Help us to rest in the truths of your word. And Lord, I just want to end by praying for for us that we would really go tell. Help us not to go argue with unbelievers over the doctrine of election. That's not why we have it. But help us to go proclaim this gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised the third day, and salvation is through faith in Him. Help us, Lord, to walk humbly with You and to rest in Your mercy and to be vessels through which You pour Your grace to other lives. We give You praise.